Okay, I think we're live. Uh, so welcome to Copy Links of Inspiration. It's a weekly show that goes out over YouTube and as a podcast over all of the major platforms. And each week I get to sit with an inspiring person and listen to them tell their story and share it with all of you. This week is no different. I'm very, very pleased to welcome uh, Bio Adelaja. Welcome, Bio. This is actually the first you'll notice that we're set up uh, using uh, Google Meet here. Uh, so we're in the middle of lockdown. Uh, I'm recording this and we'll, we'll publish it later. Uh, and Bio and I are both doing this for the first time, so forgive any glitches along the way. I'll give Bio a brief introduction and then we'll get into it. So Bio is the founder and, and chief doer, I love that, of Do It Now Now. Uh, Do It Now Now is an organization that champions ethnic diversity in entrepreneurship, creativity, and philanthropy, and it's targeted specifically at the Afro-Caribbean uh, community or, or people from, um, from that descent. Uh, she's a trustee of the Royal Voluntary Service, a fellow of Included, included as a 12-month VC uh, program, a fellow uh, of the Royal Society of Arts, Manufacturers and Commerce, uh, in the background in, in, in her past, she's uh, worked, uh, thank you, Bio, as a consultant and ambassador for Google uh, as part of Google for Startups, so we'll, we'll talk a bit about that. Um, had a long period of time as a policy uh, advisor and researcher, uh, both with LSE, the London School of Economics, uh, as well as various government uh, departments. Uh, she's been a Queen's Young Leaders mentor uh, and has a, a trophy cabinet full of awards that seem to be building by the year, bio. Uh, in 2018, one of the most influential women in social entrepreneurship in the UK. Uh, she's won awards from Hox Oxford and Harvard uh, for her work. 2019 top 100 most influential BAME leaders uh, from the FT. Uh, and has also worked with the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, something that many of us dream of doing. A wonderful, uh, a wonderful institution. Like me, Io is an immigrant in the UK, uh, grew up in Nigeria, uh, came to the UK 19 years ago, uh, 22 years ago for me, uh, from, from New Zealand, um, and has a fairly illustrious uh, background uh, of academic training, both at Durham University and subsequently at LSE, where she received her master's. I was overwhelmed by, I have to say, when I read through your LinkedIn profile and different um, sources of information about just how much you've done in quite a short uh, short life so far, and uh, it's uh, it's a really impressive track record. But let me let me take you back uh, to when your family and you first moved to the UK. Uh, can you talk a little bit about why that was and what the experience uh, was for you? Um, well, first, thank you for having me. I really appreciate being here and getting to experience this uh, lockdown innovation with you. Um, though I, when we first moved to, to London, my mum's goal particularly was our education. She was very focused on ensuring that my brother and I got the best possible education um, that she could access. And for her, that meant the UK as opposed to uh, Nigeria, where she was, um, um, being Nigerian herself, was educated. And uh, she just kind of took a look around her and said, what would the best opportunity be for my children? I, I think um, that was that was the primary driving force. 
Um, but have my my mum is an avid traveler, so she's been to uh, in total, I think seventy four countries or thereabouts. Wow. So she's been traveling since she was about eighteen. As soon as she could, her parents started giving her the opportunity to travel with a bunch of family members, anyone they knew was traveling anywhere. They said, "Hey, can my daughter come with you and have that experience?" And um, she saw the opportunity to be in a different country to experience new things as vital to growth and to personhood and and individuality and strength and all of those things. So aside from the opportunity of education, I think she just wanted us to see something else. Yeah, well, you've, uh, you've, you've certainly done both and, and uh, you've got uh, you've got more qualifications than most people certainly that I know. Um, so you've certainly honoured your mother with, with her uh, aspiration for you there. Um, let's go to university actually. You went to Durham initially and then asked to LSE. And I think it was at Durham, right, that you kind of noticed for the first time that perhaps this wasn't a level playing field. Can you talk about that experience and what led you to that field? Um, so while I was at Durham, um, the, the first, well, before getting to Durham, actually, I thought, oh, I, when we moved to London, we moved straight to Kent, actually. So I was always the only black person in the room. And I thought, oh, once I go to university, there'll be so many different people from so many different places. So it'll be different. We'll all see each other and we'll kind of recognize each other as people and based on our merits and all of those things. And I just kind of felt more of the same like level of isolation and not that really people understanding my culture and the same kinds of questions I would get before that, which is like, do you have, did you grow up in a hut? Did you see lions every day? I mean, Nigerian print scandals, all of those things. Um, but I always thought if I just applied my best and gave my best to any situation, I would be able to overcome it because your merits are what push you forward in life. And the, and so I, the, the thing that kind of became a, a very stark realization for me was when I was I was doing a Dragon's Den competition at university and um, I'd built this this business and I was really excited about it and I, I was engaging with lots of different people. And in the competition, um, there was someone else who was uh, who was there as well, a friend of mine now, not, not at the time, we were just acquaintances then, but he was also building something and it was exciting. Uh, the, he came first, we came second innovations you know it's all subjective I, I i think we should have come first that's what i'm trying to say <laughs> but anyway um we after that experience we kind of we as a team my myself and my co-founder and then eventually just me uh i built this thing that ended up being extremely successful we were in 12 different universities i had a 75 per, um, person street team we had 2000 active users daily it was it was active for that context of supporting university students and i just had no idea how to go about it i was just kind of flying by the seat, seat of my pants just moving as my intuition took me i had no one in my family who understood business not in not at the, in the way that i was trying to do it i had no understanding of tech ecosystems. I didn't even know those things existed. I didn't know what an accelerator was, an incubator, a VC investment. The only things I knew were the dra real Dragon's Den competition, the one on TV and um, the Apprentice TV show. Those are the things that I knew. So I either needed a massive business loan, I had no assets and neither did my parents, or I needed someone to buy my company. And that isn't exactly an easy, um, 
like, like thing to get, or I needed a massively wealthy person to come in and say, hey, let's give you 250,000 pounds for 70% of your company, which is what was happening at the time on Dragon's Den. Um, I really stressed myself to find the information that I needed. And after all of that, all of that work, all of that success, I just hit a brick wall and couldn't go any further because I just didn't know anymore. And so I quit my business and I decided maybe this isn't for me. I'll go into academia, which I did. Um, I found out later, a few years later, that that friend who'd won the competition and hadn't started his business until after uh, university, um, he went straight into an accelerator upon graduating and uh, then got investment and is now retired in Bali. And um, I just I just wonder sometimes what my life could have been if I'd known that accelerators even existed, that I could have applied, that I could have lived this other life. And while I do wonder, I don't regret the experiences that I've had because uh, they've they were the catalyst for what I do now as uh, chief doer at Do It Now Now. Well, I, th I think we're all very grateful that you're not retired in, in Bali. Bali's very warm, it's, it's very humid. I don't think you'd like it. And, and there's so much good that you've done as a result of the, these sort of twists of fate uh, in, uh, in life. Um, one of the things that I reflect on deeply as a, a leader in a tech company is, on the one hand, the great democratization that platform technology uh, provides, right? If you've got a smartphone and an idea, you can start uh, a micro multinational company uh, or non-profit organizations you have. Uh, you can become a creator and find a global audience. You can you know, find your voice as well and, and talk about important social issues. Yet, there's a pretty big section of society, and I think this is true in most countries, uh, if not all countries, that seems somehow left behind. Mm -hmm. um, so that to me is a paradox that I find troubling and, and curious. I'd love uh, to get your opinion on, on that. Do you agree with that? And, and if so, why is that? Um, I absolutely agree with that. There is a, a large cross-section of society that is just uh, not accessing the types of resources that we know are freely available um, to, people for for grabs just up for grabs like i'm i just so one of the things that i always think about is the fact that whether or not you are entrepreneurial like across africa like african people are said to be the most entrepreneurial because out of necessity comes innovation and innovation uh needs to be supported by constant uh constant uh constant revenue which births entrepreneurialism because you need to find a way to pay for it and let it pay for itself um and there is all of that coming through, but then the ability to sustain that is dependent on external resources. It's dependent on experts. It's dependent on opportunity and access. And that's when it becomes difficult to actually move forward. Uh, and you find that across Africa at the moment, the last, um, the last count I saw is there are 749 tech hubs across the entire continent in the, in the UK. Uh, there are many more than that, I can tell you. But certainly in London, there are 1,842 
co-working spaces slash tech hubs. So you could just think of the the vast difference between an entire continent and a small city um, having so much more access. And even when you think about the UK, so much of the resource around tech is is con concentrated in London that people who live in the north, in the in the south, in the deep south of, uh, of, of the UK, don't necessarily have proximity. And because they don't have proximity, don't have access. So it, I think it, it truly is an access issue, but it is also a, a level of, it is a level of comfort zones, um, like being, being willing to stay where you are and figure it out where you are. Um, just going back to the Africa example, I've spoken to so many female founders who don't even bother thinking about VC anymore because they just don't think it's it's possible. So they end up building businesses that are smaller, but strong and able to support them and their community. Whereas if they had the support, the resource and the access, they'd be able to build something that could scale across Africa, other emerging markets and perhaps globally. But it's it's role models, it's it's awareness, it's the ability to to kind of get yourself outside of what you see in front of you and recognize that there is a world out there, but knowing exactly how to knock on that door and which door to knock on is, is really serendipitous, to be honest. Yeah. So um, if it's all about access, and I, I agree with that, uh, this kind of brings us to the heartland of Do It Now Now. Uh, can you talk a little bit about how you uh, activate this access and these networks uh, in your organization? Absolutely. So one of the key things that we uh, are tackling is, like you say, access. We want to make sure that every Black person has access to the tools, resources and skills that they need to be able to create a better life for themselves and their families. And that is in any number of ways. So as you said, we focus on entrepreneurship, creative, um, creativity and philanthropy, and we produce uh, training courses on those things, as well as leadership and activism. But we do that with the help of organizations like Google. So Google has been kind enough to provide cloud credits to our tech entrepreneurs so that they don't have to fork out that money uh, in, the, in the first instance until they start making a bit of money. So they have that opportunity, that buffer. And other organizations have been uh, really kind and similarly supported our work uh, so that entrepreneurs that are from the backgrounds that we support can can build things that reflect them, their culture, the, the future that they want to see and the, the opportunities that they want to see uh, reflected in the world. And it's, it's really important to build that bridge. And that's really what we do. We provide training, but we are really building a bridge to a better, more resourced, more available world. Right. Um, what, a, what a fantastic cause and what a fantastic structure that you've set up for it. So if, if I imagine there are some people watching this or listening to it um, who would love uh, to, uh, to be involved in, in some way to help, um, um, certainly I've got my hand up. I'd love to uh, provide any, any help that you feel I could add. How, what's the best way of, of getting in touch and, uh, and offering that? Bio? Um, well, if you're interested in the Africa stuff that we do, so currently we have our f uh, we've just done our first virtual cohort of uh, of our AfriTech XYZ program, and we're always looking for people who are interested in mentoring or providing any resources to African tech entrepreneurs. So there's our AfriTech.xyz website, and you can just press a button and become a member, and that's how we get in touch with you and we start contacting you as to what we're doing and how we're doing it. Um, 
But otherwise, if you just go on to doitnownow.com, you'll find all of the different things that we do and you'll find all the different initiatives that we've got coming up. So you can you can figure out where you fit in and how you can support the next generation of uh, of black leaders across the world. I was I was looking through those uh, projects and services and initiatives. And it's a very impressive portfolio that you've got already. How about if if uh, if some you know somebody's watching and, and they've got a um, uh, an idea for starting a, a nonprofit or a movement uh, or putting a program together? How would they? Uh, what's the best way uh, for them to activate uh, your help on that? Um, so thankfully, we that's what we do. We try to encourage people to kind of find a problem and then go kind of all in on fixing it and seeing themselves as the person that's going to bring that solution to the world. And the best way to do that is through our Black and Good program. So if you are, well, primarily a Black person uh, that is seeking to engage in training that will help you build whatever innovation that you're building, whether it's a nonprofit or for-profit company, you can go to www.blackandgood.com and uh, there we've got free and some paid courses that you can do um, that will engage you and your mind and your creativity into building something amazing. Um, but if you just want to reach out to me, I'm always helpful. <laughs> you and uh, I, I will put all of the links below. I'm pointing, if you're listening on a, uh, on a podcast, they're below. Uh, so you, you, can, uh, you can access the links that Bio is talking about here. Um, what uh, what a what a wonderful array of uh, of services and um, and initiatives that you have. Uh, let's yes. um, finish on this note. If if I'm um, watching and wondering uh, about what I should do with my business idea, or perhaps I've uh, got a similar background to yours, or or perhaps a, a, a different one can't figure out how to find my way, don't know where to start. It was in the sort of situation that you painted so vividly at uh, when you were at Durham University. What advice would you give um, to that person or those people? I, I think the thing that really changed my life was making the decision. And I know that it's, it's different for everybody. The barrier for me was very was a lot lower than someone who doesn't have my educational background, who doesn't have my parents, who chose education above everything, um, who doesn't have the access that I've been able to get because of the places that I've worked and the experiences that I've had. Um, but having said all of that, I think it's important to just seek to be outside of your comfort zone. I genuinely get irritated if I turn up to a networking event and I know most of the people there. Because I could have stayed home. I didn't need to be there. I could have I could have just stayed home and slept a little bit more. But I think it's important to just be in a, in spaces that you or seek to be in spaces that you know will grow you, will challenge you, and will tell you what it is to be a different kind of person. Because being aware of different kinds of people is really important. Um and if I I found uh I found actually my brother did this uh, when we were growing up. Actually, he was the example for me. He wanted to be an investment banker, but we don't have any investment bankers in our family. So he had no idea what to do. So during his summer holidays, he would wear a suit when he was 16, he would wear a suit and go to the city and sit in the cafes and strike up conversations with people in suits. Brilliant. <laughs> like, 
and that's how he got his first internship and that led him to his second internship and now he's like country director of a bank somewhere in nigeria but like he's doing all this cool stuff and it's like it really did start from just like saying i have to ha i have to hack this myself um and in terms of just building something I think I, everyone says it, but if you don't believe in it, no one else is going to. You have to be absolutely ridiculously passionate about it to the point where you couldn't live with yourself if you didn't bring this about. And for me, there are so many things I could have done. There are so many different ideas that I had before I really sat down and thought, this is what I want to do with my life. That's what I sat down and thought, do it now, now should be. I wanted to know what I wanted to I wanted to find a problem that I would absolutely dedicate my entire life to and build it. And that's what I've done. So I think if you're, particularly if you're thinking of building a nonprofit, it's so, it's so unbelievably hard to run one. So uh, unless you feel like this is the thing that you have to do with your life, you're going to quit really easily. So try and find something that you're ridiculously passionate about. Find your passion and pursue it. I love that advice. What, what fantastic advice to end on. You're a, an absolute inspiration. Uh, we, we appeared, when we paired together, we were on a panel at Hustle from here with the other day. I listened to you, you came before me, and um, I, I felt very inspired by your words and more by your actions as well, uh, which really backed them up. You do walk, walk the talk. Bio, thank you very much for joining me. Uh, you're a real inspiration. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Cool. Uh, that was a lot shorter. <laughs>